Hello, everyone. Welcome into another episode of Kentucky Daily, a daily podcast covering your University of Kentucky Wildcats. I'm Sean Smith. I know you all been waiting on this episode now for a couple of days, but I just needed some time to kind of digest what happened in Indianapolis. Obviously, I was not planning on coming home Friday afternoon, Friday morning, but made it home Friday around seven o'clock and kind of couldn't shake the feeling of not covering another tournament game on, on Saturday night. And Friday, all day Friday felt like Sunday, 48 hours later, it kind of finally feels what day it's supposed to be. So I'm recording this episode on Sunday afternoon to kind of recap everything that happened in Indianapolis and just kind of share my thoughts on what went wrong and the state of the program and, and what needs to change. And I know that you all that follow me on social media, some of you have already reached out from hearing the episode with me and Jack on Sources Say and some of the things that I've tweeted out and written about over the last couple of days with John Calipari and, and things. And you know, I want to be clear before I even get into this episode that John Calipari should not be fired as the head coach at Kentucky. I'm, I'm not to that point. I don't want to get to that point. I'm, I've been a huge supporter of Cal, even in my days as a fan. And then my transition away from a fan to a media member. I've, I've followed this program for a very long time, and now I cover this program day in and day out. And I do not think that John Calipari should be fired. So everything that I've said over the last couple of days, I'm not saying to push the man out the door because I still think when he's at his best and when he's not stubborn and if he just change a couple of things – he's still good enough to do what everybody wants him to do at Kentucky. I, I still fully believe that, and that's what I want to see moving forward. I tweeted out the other day that I just don't think that I can defend him against his loudest critics. I don't think any of us can because when you're talking about since 2016, really can't really say much about 17. I feel like that team was good enough to win a national championship had they got past North Carolina. But from now on, I mean, the loss to K-State in 2018 – that Kentucky team, I know you you could say they overachieved, but then when the bracket opened up, that was a team that should have been in the Final Four. 2019, I think that team should have been in the Final Four. No one knows about 2020. The computers could not – I mean, the computers did not like that Kentucky team at all. So a, a first weekend, second weekend, Sweet 16 exit would not have surprised me with that Nick Richards, Emmanuel Quickly team, but I do think that they had some pieces to kind of make a run and – at least put themselves in the conversation. But now you're talking about a 9-16 and 16 season and now a season where everything was going smoothly. You looked like the best team in the country, at least the top four team in the country, and you lose to St. Peter's in the opening round of the NCAA tournament. Now, St. Peter's did come back and beat Murray State. They run a modern-style offense. They, they do a lot of back cuts, that twist action that they do. That's a program that they just played like they wanted it more Friday night. But I have gone back. And I've watched multiple games from January. I went back last night and I watched the Kansas game at Kansas in late January. I watched the Alabama game at Tuscaloosa. I watched the Tennessee game at Rupp Arena. Even those games in between, the South Carolina game on the road in Columbia and some others. And one thing stands out to me about Kentucky is the tempo and the pace that they played with during that stretch of play where they looked like one of the best teams in college basketball. There, was, there wasn't a lot of thinking to be done on the floor. Wheeler was allowed to get up and down and react. Uh, Kellen Grady catching and shooting the basketball, no hesitation, didn't second-guess himself. Same thing with Mintz. And then there was one other thing that really stood out to me, and it was the way that Oscar Shibway was being used. It was a lot of 14, 15-foot short rolls, him away from the basket. They would post him with some duck-ins and things like that. But 
there wasn't a whole lot of parking on the block, and there was a lot of Keon Brooks outside the three-point line and then getting into those mid-range jumpers. As the season went along and after Ty Ty Washington got hurt and then Xavier Wheeler got hurt and they played without those two guards for a stretch, there was a lot more of post-ups for Oscar Shibway down the stretch of the season. There was a lot of Keon Brooks clogging up the lane as well. Guards could not turn the corner and get to the rim. There was less room for Ty Ty Washington to get to that floater, a lot less room for Xavier Wheeler to get to the rim. And then I think the way that Grady and Mintz shot the ball down the stretch teams just continued to kind of sink off and there was less driving lanes for these guards and less room to operate. And eventually you had an offense that, that didn't look as good. They still, at the end of the year, it wasn't the offense that beat them. And I'll, I'll get into that. The defense was horrible, but when you looked at it, it wasn't the same team getting up and down the floor as quickly as they were. And, and I think that that's what changed. And I don't know if the injuries played a part in that or what, but the last three weeks of the season, it wasn't the same team. I didn't see the smiles that I saw in January and early February. And and I want to kind of say that the injuries did that. But at the same time, when Cal keeps saying that he had a team that's built for March, and then he comes out last week and says, man, they had one of the best practices we've had all year. We scrimmaged. We went up and down. These guys like it. They're, I'm telling you, they're ready for this. And then they come out, and they're not ready for it. You can't say those things. Like, there were some warning signs there that I ignored down the stretch them not playing well in the sec tournament should have been red flag number one for me because john calipari's best teams that make a run they play very well in that tournament even the years that they don't win it they had moments where they played well in it 2014 when they lost to florida in the championship game when florida was the overall number one seed in the tournament at that moment in that tournament you knew kentucky was going on a run in the next one same thing can be said for 2017 they lost at florida late in the year got embarrassed they come back in that SEC tournament last couple of games of the year. They went on a run, playing really good basketball. 2018, the run to the Sweet 16 that they had the disappointing loss to K-State. They played really well in that SEC tournament. Them not playing well that late in the year should have been warning sign and red flag number one for me. And I dismissed it thinking, okay, it's John Calipari coach team. They get to March. Everything's going to be resolved, and it's going to be magically fixed. I'm, I'm afraid that Cal thought the same thing. And I just don't think that that's the case. This team continued to get worse on the defensive end of the floor in the final few weeks of the season. I mean, they ended up being outside the top 100 in defensive efficiency in the final 10 games of the season. I think they were below 150, honestly, like somewhere around 160. And when it comes to defensive efficiency, offense remained near the top and a really good offense, but they couldn't get stops. The way that they played offensively against St. Peter's, I know that they missed some shots. If they had defended, they still win that basketball game, and they probably have a chance to beat Murray State, and we're still talking about Kentucky moving on to the Sweet 16 today instead of kind of having this declaration of what happened and what went wrong. Uh, that end of the floor was really bad. St. Peter's knocked some shots down early. Kentucky then got really aggressive, stretching out on the perimeter, and St. Peter's did exactly what they've been doing all year. They back cut teams to death. They run that twist action. That's the thing that really got me and annoyed me is when you turn on the St. Peter's tape and you watch their games, they ran that twist action and that backdoor cut a lot this season, and they hit Kentucky with it multiple times the other night, which makes me wonder how much film did Kentucky dive into on this opponent? How did you not know that that's what they were going to do? They've been doing it to teams all year long. After they hit a couple of threes, got a couple of back cuts, you saw the confidence begin to grow. I'm sitting there behind San Francisco. I know that they lost to Murray State in a close one late Friday night or Thursday night, but they scouted Kentucky all the way up until the six-minute mark. 
of the second half. And then they looked at one another and thought, should we start getting ready for St. Peter's? Like that, nobody thought Kentucky was going to lose that game. Kentucky gets up, they get a six-point lead, then they take the air out of the basketball. I tweeted out in that moment, this is where the this is where you win the game on this possession. If you go get a bucket, make it eight to nine-point lead, I think the pressure then goes on St. Peter's. Instead, Kentucky comes down, taking the air out of the ball. You have bad passes by Wheeler, a couple of turnovers there. You have some missed shots. Meanwhile, St. Peter's goes on a 7-0 run, and they take a one-point lead. Now, Kentucky did get it to overtime, but they still couldn't come up with the stops that they needed to win that game. And that loss was on the defensive end of the floor. But John Calipari, late in the game, under 20 seconds to go, I know he doesn't like to call timeouts. And in, at times, I've defended his reasoning for why, especially when they played LSU and you're talking about elite defensive teams and, and things like that. I'm okay with it. But when you've had a team that has not really been very good in that situation this year, we've seen them late in games, late in clock, not get the shot that they want. You have three timeouts. You have to take one there. You've got to call a timeout and get what you want and get something set up. And in that moment, the thing that I had hated most about their offense over the last three or four weeks was that Oscar became their best option on the low block, and that's what they kept going to, and it clogged things up. But he was the only guy that was doing anything. I think you at least needed to go through him, give him a touch, or at least use him as a decoy to get some attention and maybe get someone else freed up. But when you looked at it, they went to a zone there with a couple minutes to go in the game, and it changed the pace. It changed the rhythm of Kentucky, and they looked lost. There was one moment I remember Xavier Wheeler picking the ball up outside the top of the three-point line, and he had no idea what to do with the ball. He looked completely shell-shocked, along with the other guys, Grady, Ty Ty, all of them. They had no clue what to do with the basketball. That's where you got to take a timeout and you got to settle them in. But instead, that six-point lead quickly turned into a deficit. Kentucky did hit a shot with Kellen Grady. And the reason I think Grady hit that shot is because off the offensive rebound, he had no choice but to take it. Kentucky's trailing by one. The clock's winding down. It was a play that he did not have to think about. So go back to what I was saying when I first started this episode. A lot of their offense in January and early February, they reacted. They didn't think. As the year went along, they started trying to grind teams out. They started having to think about it. It became more of an execution thing than it did anything else. And I think that's when the pressure and everything got to Kentucky and they were thinking too much. Grady has to float to that three-point line. He catches it. He rises. He fires. Drills it. The look on his face, it was right in front of me when it happened was like, I can't believe that that went in, but it was kind of a sigh of relief. Like, oh my gosh, I did it. I'm going to be okay. And I still think had Kentucky won that game, he would have been okay moving forward because I'm telling you, the moment that he made that shot, the look on his face said everything to me that he'd been waiting for it to go through for a week and a half, but he didn't have to think about it. And then you come down at the end, Ty Ty Washington gets the ball in the corner. I, I thought that maybe – Sitting courtside, he had a, a seam to kind of get the, the shot off there. But they would have had a good closeout. It would have been contested. But then he takes that one dribble, gets into a pull-up with two and a half seconds to go on the clock. That's where before the injuries to the ankle, I think Ty Ty gets two dribbles, gets two feet in the paint, and puts up a shot with a chance to win the game. He didn't have any explosiveness uh, late in the year after those injuries. And I don't think he ever was fully 100%. And I think that you can chalk up some of Kentucky's issues to that, especially when I went back and watched tape in January and how much faster he was with the ball, getting to that floater. 
he ended up uh, not shooting the ball well down the stretch. You had the Vandy game from three-point range, but you didn't have a very efficient Ty-Ty Washington for probably three to three-and-a-half weeks, especially from two-point range. Like his overall field goal percentage from two-point range in mid-range, he missed a lot of shots that he didn't even remotely come close to missing in December and January. And I think that the ankle uh, had a lot to do with that. I think it became a mental thing for him. I know he was dealing with a lot of stuff off the floor as well with his mother that we did not know about. And uh, I kind of look and, and you kind of give him a pass for some of the things that went on there. But Oscar Shibway from beginning to end was the most consistent thing about Kentucky basketball. And at the end, that was the only consistent thing about Kentucky basketball as Oscar was doing his thing. I mean, he had an unbelievable performance from him and, Unfortunately, it didn't lead to a second-round game or a chance to get his mother here for the Final Four. So we'll see what happens with Oscar's decision to return or to pursue a pro option. I know that there's a lot of questions about that right now, and I said I would give it a week or so and kind of digest it, talk to some folks, and see exactly what the situation is around him. Uh, Damian Collins, Travis Branham, did report today that Damian Collins will return to Kentucky for a sophomore season. We will dedicate an entire episode to that this week talking about his impact and like his progression and what we expect from him moving forward. But the, the biggest takeaway from me is the criticism that John Calipari has received over the last couple of days. And I think we'll receive all the way through the off season into the preseason and into next season. It he's, he's worthy of that criticism. It's warranted. Like, I think that we're to a point, like I said, I'm not firing John Calipari. I don't want John Calipari fired. I want John Calipari as the head coach of Kentucky. I think he's still the best man for the job, but he's got to make some changes. You can't get stubborn. You've, you've got to understand that, especially the comment that he was coaching a different team the last few weeks and he was still trying to coach them the way he was a month ago. I don't, I don't like some of the comments. And then at the end, when you're talking about Shaden Sharp and you're asking, you know, was there at, was there a point to where you considered putting him in or – there were talks and, and I like, I mean, yeah, he was honest and said that there was another conversation, but then in that moment, fans are instantly going to say, wow. So Shaden possibly could have played late in the year. I think it'd have been just better off to say, no, we had the one conversation and we chose not to play him this year. That was the family's decision, our decision. We're going to wait. Uh, but I don't know. And then it got down to the end talking about no experience and no NCAA tournament experience. Well, St. Peter's didn't have NCAA tournament experience. Your 2014 team that went to the title game, didn't have any NCAA tournament experience. I, I just look at those things, and, and I hate that it kind of feels like excuses. You, you, your team did not play well late in the year. Ultimately, you're the head coach, and it's on you. I mean, sure, Grady didn't hit shots. Mintz didn't hit shots. Tata didn't hit shots. But no excuse for how poorly they defended. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time, the Roast of Tom Brady, a Netflix live event happening May 5th Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! 
Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. That was an issue for weeks. I kept saying going into the Florida game, I want to see how Kentucky defends in the final four to five games of the year. I want to see that defensive efficiency number climb. At one point, I believe it was 11th or 12th in the country. As of yesterday, I think it had fallen all the way to 35th in Ken Palm. Like that was an area that got them beat down the stretch. No excuses. You have to be good on that end of the floor, and Kentucky was not in the final three weeks of the year. They, I, I didn't think that they needed to be a top five, top six defensive team to win a national championship. I thought that they just needed to stay somewhere in that top 15, and they would have had a shot. Unfortunately, that number dipped a lot. And for that to fall 23 to 24 spots in the final three to four weeks of the regular season tells you how poorly they defended. Like that, when you're talking 30 plus games going into these metrics and you drop that far in maybe nine to 10, that means you're not defending very well. You're defending at one of the worst rates and worst clips you could in college basketball. And that is ultimately what cost Kentucky, in my opinion. It wasn't the offensive issues as much as it was the defensive issues. But you want to see this offensive stuff get fixed. So here's my biggest takeaway going into this offseason. Regardless of who comes back or what they do with the transfer portal, I want to see two through four have the ability to shoot the basketball from three-point range and shoot it with confidence. I don't want to see someone at the four – that has no ability to face the basket and make a play from the three-point line. You've got to have somebody there that can stretch the floor. Your twos and your threes got to be able to stretch the floor. They, they had those pieces this year. Keon Brooks wasn't as good of a three-point shooter, so at times you had a couple of shooters on the floor with still a Keon that at times clogged things up, especially when he wasn't hitting that mid-range jumper. And he didn't make many mid-range jumpers down the stretch of the year. A lot of it was more at the rim. So whatever they were doing offensively, it just felt like they were doing something different. And this is where it hurts Savir Wheeler. A lot of people piling on Savir for his stat lines, turnovers, things like that late in the year, having to take a lot more shots. I think that Grady not being able to shoot the ball consistently the final three to four games of the year, even more going back to Arkansas, honestly, that Alabama game hit seven threes. I think he hit six the rest of the way. Same thing with Mintz, not being able to knock down shots. Ty-Ty, not being able to knock down that mid-range jumper. He had the one game against Fandy where he was good from three-point range. Other than that, not very good. You had a lot of dudes on the perimeter missing shots. And I've said it back when they got Savir Wheeler. The reason he struggled so much at Georgia is they didn't have anyone that could space and stretch the floor. Well, in the final two to three weeks of the year for Kentucky, they could not space the floor. Grady required so much attention for majority of the year. Once he had a slump, and I think it became a mental slump for him, you saw teams not defending him the same way. He had space to operate. Mintz had space to operate. Tata Washington missing shots. When that starts happening, you got Oscar on the block, posting a lot, not doing as many short rolls and things that they were doing with him around 14, 15 feet. A lot of his offense for two months of the year was on the offensive glass. And the last week of the season, a lot of it became post-ups and then still on the offensive glass. It wasn't as much the mid-range game and keeping things open that hurts Savir. Savir would turn a corner, have nowhere to go. You almost can't play Savir Wheeler when you're not knocking down shots from the outside. And, and that's what I think. If Savir is on your roster next year, your two, three, and four have got to be able to put the ball in the basket consistently from three-point range. 
if you go through a slump, you go through a slump, but you've got to be able to consistently break through that. That's the only way Xavier Wheeler can perform at a high level is if others around him are allowing him to space the floor. He's not big. He doesn't shoot the ball well. You put those two things together and you have a recipe for disaster. And Kentucky just did not have space to operate down the stretch in the season. And, and I think a lot of that is, is on one. You, you've got to have shots, but I think some of that's on Cal too. I, I think that you've got to recognize that and do some things differently. And this team got worse in the final few weeks of the season. And the part that's so frustrating is this was a Final Four roster that was put together. You don't look the way that you did in late December through the second week of February, and then just all of a sudden wake up for three weeks and not have it. Like something happened. Ultimately, as a head coach, it is on you to get it figured out. You get paid $9 million to figure it out. He has figured it out a lot more times than he hasn't figured it out. Yeah, it's only showed up in one national championship, but they've been to four Final Fours, and they've made some runs with some teams that nobody thought they'd make runs with. This was one of the teams, though, that was set up to succeed I just keep coming back to those injuries and, and, and what happened. You know, I don't want to sit here and say that, you know, that they should have played through things because clearly John Calipari kept saying, I just need to get to March and get these guys healthy. But Kentucky certainly lost its rhythm there for a couple of games, and they were not the same team from Arkansas through the end. They just weren't the same team. To me, Oscar covered up a lot of issues late that win at Florida. Oscar goes off, has a huge stat line. That was a game that if Oscar doesn't play well, Kentucky probably loses. It, it got to the end of the year where it was Oscar and you just needed someone else, but no one else was consistently there for Kentucky. Uh, you play through Keon Brooks late. You're down three. You go to him. The ball ends up going out of bounds off of him after the shot attempt. Not, not picking on Keon, but I've not seen playing through Keon Brooks late in games work very much. I remember Arkansas, he took the open three. Sure, he was wide open, missed it. Tennessee in the SEC tournament took an open shot down four in the final minute, missed it. I've seen it play out that way, and that's to me that wasn't the guy you want to play through that moment, which kind of goes back to what I was saying for a month. There were two things that I wanted to see Kentucky do. I wanted to see them play without Oscar Shibway for a stretch. We got that against Tennessee. They didn't get buried, and I wanted to see them beat a team late by executing offense. We didn't see that in the final month of the season, especially against a good team. Come to find out, St. Peter's is a good basketball team. They're in the Sweet 16 for a reason. They're playing at a high level. Seeding, all that stuff does not matter in this tournament. How you were in your conference, the SEC, you're seeing it now. Tennessee's eliminated. Uh, you got Alabama out of this thing. LSU's out of this thing. It, it, it doesn't matter. It, it, who could You could care less what is done in the 34 games prior to this tournament. You have to be playing at a high level, and Kentucky was not playing at a high level entering this tournament. And to me, that falls back on your head coach. When you've been very good to a point, you have a group of veterans, you've got to get it pieced together and figured out. Like Kellen Grady was a very good college basketball player that kind of got, I think, in his own mind late in the season. Davion Mintz had his moments and stuff. Why did Jacob Toppin only play how many minutes against St. Peter's? It looks like 16 and a half minutes. When the first half, he was the guy that was flying around all over the place, dunking the ball, uh, making plays. I felt like he should have been on the floor more in the second half. But ultimately, this is a huge offseason for John Calipari. You don't need to do the whole everybody enjoy their time now. Just wait till next year. There doesn't need to be anything cute. There needs to be a commitment to understanding that this fan base wants success in that NCAA tournament. I think that he knows that. And 
I want to see John Calipari piece this thing together and and commit to it. I, I don't say I'm not saying they have to be Alabama and take 43 pointers a game, but I want to see the mid range stuff kind of done away with. Stop valuing that shot. Take a few more threes. Play up tempo. Play quick, and then get back to defending teams the way that you did early on. That's why Damian Collins coming back. If he can add some size, add some strength to that frame, they need a rim protector in, in the back there as well. And obviously, I think that would have helped them defensively. But here's the other side of this, too. They didn't defend the basketball for the last four weeks of the year. Rim protector or not, they were getting break. There were going to be breakdowns on the back end of that defense, even if they had a rim protector. But I want to see Kentucky getting back to defending at a high level again next year, see how this roster plays out in the offseason. Derek and I are going to get on here this week and we're going to talk about this tournament and talk about kind of what went wrong down the stretch and everything. And uh, just want to see John Calipari kind of this be a wake up call for him. We thought the nine and 16 year was, and I think it was to an extent because you did see a commitment to it for the most part of the year. Like that was a guy, but I want to see a more angry John Calipari, like a, a John Calipari that comes back and, and kind of has some pride about him here. Like you're, you're getting paid a lot of money. You've had a lot of success. You're getting older. You're, you're later in your career. You're not early in your career. In the mid part of your career, you're in the end of it. I don't want to see him settle and be like, man, you know, all right, we're, we were a 26-win team going into the tournament. It's all right. We can make a few changes here, get right back to where we were. No, I want to see John Calipari come back with some pride and say this isn't acceptable. This is Kentucky. I know he said it in the tweet yesterday and the Facebook post and everything that you know, clearly they're, they're going to get, they're going to recruit and the standard that they've set here and stuff. Well, that standard was set at Kentucky long before John Calipari. And for the final six or seven years of Tubby Smith's tenure at Kentucky, I know the, the stats have been up there side by side. They, they're similar. Tubby won more games. Tubby had some more success here and there. John Calipari has had more talent down the stretch, but I want to see Cal getting back to what Kentucky was in those first four or five years, the, and it's not the swagger. It's more of the desire to be the best and, and make those strides to be the best in your conference, value that regular season, value those road games, all of it. Don't lend the whole thing that nothing matters. So like you come back and you, a lot of people say, well, this wasn't a disappointing season because Kentucky won 26 games. They got to the top five. They, they beat Carolina, they beat Kansas, they beat Tennessee. They, they won these games. When John Calipari is saying for his entire time at Kentucky that nothing matters until March, then nothing matters until March. And when you don't do anything in March, you chalk it up as a failure. These guys didn't fail for 34 games, for 33 games. They had a really good season. But when you get down to the end of it, when you're valuing March and that's your excuse and that's the thing that you use all season long, it kind of feels like a failure when they get eliminated by number 15 seed, the worst loss in program history in the NCAA tournament. There's, there's really no way to sugarcoat it and say that it's not a failure, especially for a team that I think 32% of brackets had Kentucky going to the Final Four. A lot of national media guys had Kentucky going to the Final Four. I just want to see John Calipari come back this offseason with a vengeance to get this thing right. I think he's still the guy to do it. There just needs to be a commitment to consistency and some change, and it starts with the people around him. He's got to listen to some people around him. I thought that a lot of times this year, John Calipari was turning to the bench, was getting really flustered and really upset with either Chin Coleman or whoever else was there. I, I get it. Cal's always been that fiery competitor and that guy. But I think at times he needs to start listening to some other people as well. 
And whatever that is, get on the same page, get back here next year, regroup, figure out what's happening with this roster, whether Oscar Shibway is going to be on it, whether Shaden Sharp is going to be on it. I think it's very important for at least one of those two players to be back. If you get them both back and you still have, I think, Xavier Wheeler, regardless, if you get both those guys back with what you have coming in, they're going to be active in the portal. I think Kentucky's a top five team and it's worthy of a top five ranking in the, in the regular season uh, in November. Uh, if you remember, Calipari said the Bahamas trip and stuff will be coming up this year. So this thing's not as long of a layoff as what we think it'd be. So sometime in August, you're probably going to see Kentucky basketball on your TV. I'll be making that trip as well. Uh, they have the London trip coming up, but this is a, this is more of a do or die year. In my opinion, for John Calipari coming up at Kentucky, you cannot flame out again, whether that be nine and 16 or a first round exit or a first weekend exit. This is a program next year that needs to go on a run. They've got to get back to a Final Four at some point. You're, you've had a lot of talent in this program. You've had years where you felt like Kentucky had a clear path to the Final Four, and, I mean, that's the beauty of March. You've got to play and you've got to bring it. Tennessee found that out yesterday. There's other teams around college basketball are now finding that out today and this weekend. This is a program that needs something good to happen. They've got to get back to a Final Four, and I want to see John Calipari go all in the spring and this summer Figure out who he needs around him, have people that he trusts around him because he's got to trust some people, and this has to be a work-together type of project. You cannot have another year on the heels of 9-16 and in a first-round exit that is a letdown. You've got to do something in that NCAA tournament next year. It's been way too long. It'll be well over – I don't know how many days. I know it's already probably a 1,000 days since Kentucky won its last tournament game. It's still a long layoff and a long wait for Kentucky to win an NCAA tournament game. This is Kentucky – it's not acceptable here. John Calipari knows that. And I want to see a commitment to getting that fixed. Like this is a pivotal year in his career at Kentucky and his career as a college basketball coach, because now those first five years, first six years, they're so far away now that nobody remembers. Everybody's remembering what's happened the last six to seven. And there needs to be something good here at the end to get this momentum going back in the right direction. We'll be right here on Kentucky Daily to talk about it. My DMs are open for you all that want to vent. My email's open. I've been getting a lot of emails. I'm going to reply to those this week. Same thing with DMs. Uh, this is Kentucky basketball. Everyone expects better. Us that cover the program, we expect to cover better. John Calipari is still the man for the job, but he's still the man for the job if he makes a couple of changes, and, and that's what we want to see. We, we called it out going into this season. I'm not saying it needs to be a full like a modern-style offense shooting 43s a game, but there has to be – more stuff the way that they're playing offense especially when it matters is not the way you play offense in 2022 it's just not you're seeing a lot of national guys call it out and i think that's the right thing to do kentucky's got to get back to being the cool program in college basketball i'm not sure what that answer is but this offseason john calipari better find it because for the biggest part a lot of people that have defended him for the last six or seven years i'm seeing them trend the other direction this is a program that will eat you alive, regardless of how mentally confident you are. This is a huge hurdle. This is a, a big deal to a lot of people. And I just want to see him get it figured out and enjoy however much time he has left in Lexington, whether that's three years or 10 years. I want John Calipari to be the head coach in Lexington as long as he wants to be and when leave on his own terms. And, and I think that will ultimately be what happens. But I want to see some success. I want to see them make a run in the NCAA tournament and get back to doing what Kentucky basketball was. So this is a huge offseason for him. We'll be right here on Kentucky Daily to take you through all of it. As always, this show is powered by Blue Wire Pods. It's also powered by the Butcher's Pub. you got three locations, 
Palmville, Williamsburg, and London, Kentucky. You can visit thebutcherspub.com or check them out on Facebook. Thank you all so much for listening throughout this season. I know we had points where uh, things kind of went up and down with episodes, maybe two or three days at a time, but we I'm, I'm committed to making sure that I take you through this offseason with at least three to four episodes a week. And, and I think in April, May, when the portal is active, we're going to be able to get to five episodes a week. We'll start transitioning to some football stuff. The spring game is right around the corner. I know Derek's on a different job now, but there will be episodes with me and Derek together. I'm going to plug guest episodes in here as well. Stay committed to Kentucky Daily. I promise you it's going to be a big year, big summer, and then going into this football season, then another pivotal season for John Calipari in Lexington. If you if you don't listen to me on Sources Say, check out that podcast feed as well. I'm on there a couple of times a week with Jack Pilgrim, another good podcast show. So uh, stay, stay listening to this one and that one. We'll get you through it. Kentucky basketball will be here before you know it. And uh, I'm going to go on a limb and say that brighter days are ahead at some point because it certainly can't get any darker. I never thought that a, a 15 seed would eliminate Kentucky in the NCAA tournament. You know, you sit back and you watch all these upsets and you think, man, that's not going to happen to the, the team that I pull for, the team that I cover. But if March has shown us anything, it can happen to you at any moment. When Kentucky goes on a run again, I've told myself I will cherish it a lot more than I did in the past because when you don't go on one for a few years, you realize that it, it's not just a guaranteed thing. Like this is a really hard tournament to win. Rick Barnes has found that out often. Uh, I know what, 10, nine, I think nine out of 10 years, he's been eliminated before the second weekend his teams have. So good coaches in college basketball lose games in this tournament. But John Calipari calls this place the gold standard. He's called it the Kentucky effect. He's called it the succeed and proceed, sets the bar high. And when you set the bar that high, if you fall short, you get a lot of criticism. And I think that John Calipari is worthy for some criticism, but he's also earned the opportunity to get this thing right but it's coming down to the end where how many opportunities are you giving? And I think that this off season is a big opportunity and you need to see some change. So stay locked into this podcast. I'm Sean Smith. We'll catch you next time on Kentucky daily.